Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 265 of Fourth and John. I am Gail Saunders here with Chris Malley and Mr. Prime in the building. We are excited, man. We're geeked out. Uh, we got a the myth, the man, the legend, two-time Super Bowl champion, a two-time father to a uh, Waylon and Luke, uh, Meg's Boo, Walter Payton, man of the year, and hater of Virginia Tech uh, architecture. Uh, <laughs> Big up to uh, the man himself, Chris Long, in the building. Hey, what's up, y'all? What's going on, man? Appreciate you taking the time to come and join us today, man. Very happy to be on. Very happy to be on. So uh, especially, it's always good to talk to Philly people, you know, pop up everywhere. But uh, anytime I can go on a show with people from Philly, I'm always happy. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. Yeah, Chris, can't thank you for having you on enough, man. I mean, I you were just talking to us uh, pre-show, and I was talking to Cowboy Reed, so – Jeff Schwartz called you out, and he made you uh, do some rolling. I mean, other than people that watched the show Last Chance You and watched that one kid get rolled after practice, I mean, like, tell us about that and how what just went down. So y'all help me out with this a little bit. Like, it was on Last Chance You. Did the kid did the kid struggle? Oh yeah. Uh, so this kid Snoop was always starting uh, stuff with the coaches. So the coach was like, all right, Snoop, like, I'm gonna roll you. I'm gonna roll you. And it's on turf. It was hot. And uh, for anyone that didn't play football or just never got rolled, uh, basically, like, you're just like this, and you're just rolling and rolling and rolling on the field. And that's what you just did. You said you went 400 yards after eating some sushi. Yeah, so what I did, yeah, basically what I did, because I do have a pretty steel trap. Like, I can eat whatever. I can drink whatever. Like, I'm not even trying to be a hardo. Like, I I know my talents. Like, that's one of them. So, um. I also like a challenge, and Jeff Schwartz, who played in the league a long time, played for the Giants, um, 
you know, played at Oregon and a bunch of my buddies, quite frankly, like when we started talking about it, we're like, Hey, this rolling thing is like the hardest, uh, you know, penalty that you could suffer as a college football player or like a high school football player. And I was like, I never did it. It looks easy. And guys are like, no, you're wrong. So, uh, you know, they were like, put your money where your mouth is. And, you know, we're trying to do more YouTube stuff. So I was like, this seems like a perfect thing to do on YouTube. I'm going to get a space suit. Uh, well, I have a space suit. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to wear my space suit um, and, you know, kind of like, you know, have the pads on so nobody could say, like, I didn't have a helmet on and that type of stuff. It was hot in that thing. And I ate some sushi before. And I was supposed to roll 200 yards. But after the 200, it was so easy. And I wanted to rub it in Jeff's face a little bit. I did the other 200. Nice. Oh, that, that's that's phenomenal. Uh, just wanted to start off with how we met. So I – so this – Entire stream is actually sponsored by Devontae Adams and FanDuel because uh, being a broke out of college kid, I didn't have a lot of money. And I saw that you're coming to Philly and I'm a huge advocate of what you guys do with the Water Boys. And I couldn't afford the ticket. So I was like, I need to win a parlay so I can afford going to tailgate <laughs> with Chris Long. So I was like looking at it and I was like, last leg, Devontae Adams, anytime touchdown. And I'm in the group chat with all my friends and they're like, they know I'm such a huge fan of you. And I'm like, and they're like, listen, like Devontae Adams has to score on the six leg parlay. <laughs> and then you get to meet Chris Long. And all my friends are like, we're all betting anytime Devontae Adams touchdowns. And then Devontae Adams, second drive, hits a touchdown, and everyone's going nuts. And we all knew that I was going to get to go to the tailgate. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, I get there. I'm standing next to Brent Selleck, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, and then you're kind enough to give me a bunch of your time because I know that you're getting ready to head into the Kansas City game. And uh, you and I hit it off, and we're just talking about all the great stuff that you do. And in general, I was telling you how – I was just uh, getting done throwing a benefit in honor of my friend who passed away and how it really yeah. meant a lot to see how much that you do. And we are just talking about just giving back and just, just realizing that whether you have a large platform or a small platform, that when people work together, uh, miracles can happen. And it just meant a lot to me. And it's just great having you on the show because everywhere you go in Philadelphia, whether it's been one year, whether it's been 50 years, everyone's going to be talking about the your team, the Super Bowl you guys brought and the memories at the parade. So thanks for coming on. Well, no, I appreciate you guys. And Chris, it was good to see y'all at the tailgate. I mean, like, um, that was a big deal for us. I mean, coming out of the pandemic or like really still being in it and being able to do a, a public event for the first time in a while, that felt really good. And it felt really good to have. Um, thank you, AJ. I'm seeing how this works now. I'm seeing people say it was the green light all the time. That's cool, man. Uh, but I, I love like just the support that we get when we go back to Philly, um, you know, it, it really is kind of a community. It feels like a community. It's a big city, but it feels like, you know, when you're an athlete, it feels like a small town because everything's right down there downtown. I love the way the stadiums are close by. I love, you know, the, the passion of the fans and I appreciate, you know, you guys. So thanks for coming by and then thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first question I wanted to send your way. <laughs> what inspired your Eagle Super Bowl outfit and would you have changed anything? So God's honest truth, like um, I have a one of my best friends is uh, Marcus Hagens. He coaches wide receivers um, and he's actually the associate head coach, new associate head coach uh, at the University of Virginia. And um, he's pretty cool with uh, with Chuck, with AI. So um, 
I was, you know, I was supposed to get this, uh, like, uh, you know, like a replica or like some sort of authentic AI jersey. Let me shut my window so you stop hearing these sirens. Um, and it, it, it wasn't there on time, so I had to scramble and go to Mitchell and Ness. And like, you know, um, I knew I wanted to give AI a nod, being a Virginia athlete. Um, and when we went to Mitchell and Ness, I got like. 15 jerseys you know just throw around to the guys like you know i was like hey who wants this jersey who wants that jersey of course like with the reggie white jersey there's only one guy i was, I was my jersey and i was like Fletch. you know um if anybody was gonna wear that for a day uh you know but it was like fun because guys got to you know pick out a jersey and kind of and kind of give you know give a nod to some of the old philly athletes but the coat for me was I wanted to wear a fur coat because this was like around the time Game of Thrones was going on. And, yeah. uh, you know, I felt like we just won a big, a big battle or something. <laughs> we so, did, man. We did. <laughs> so, Winter's coming. Yeah. We felt like, yeah. So we felt like uh, we felt pretty good. And I was looking for um, a coat and somebody found this coat in, um, in, uh, at a costume shop in LA and it shipped and got there the night before. Like any shipping hiccup that wasn't there um and honestly it's just a fake fur coat it's not like real so anyway it's <laughs> fur coats like it's not real some people were like fur is murder i was like well good it's like fake. Uh, triggering so, triggering folks Chris. Yeah, always so, triggering folks dude. yeah so intentionally or unintentionally so basically just threw the whole outfit together like last night like the night before i bought the sunglasses just because i didn't even own a pair of sunglasses like a brown pair of sunglasses because i lose them all so I just threw it together in like 24 hours and was kind of like, do I do this? Like, you know, am I going to look like just a total asshole or are we going to have fun? And we had such a fun time. Like I was so thankful when I showed up that Kelsey was wearing a mummer's outfit, <laughs> you know, like well, when you walked to school and you have the ladder's outfit on, you hope somebody else has a ladder outfit. And that was well, Kelsey. Hey, listen, usually when you wing stuff like that, it works out perfect. So, I mean, yeah, hey, exactly. it was a good, good choice on your part. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I was loving it. Um, now, uh, you know, talk about locker room dynamics, you know, like I had we had let me uh, let me let me tell the story real quick. This is right before the Vikings game. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we we we, we throw these tailgates out in, in the uh, parking lots and you were having a good time. All of a sudden, Elijah Qualls, of all people, <laughs> he, he shows up and I'm like, I'm like, Elijah, aren't you aren't you playing today or something? You got the whole gear. You know yeah. the whole the suit on and everything like uh, the this the Eagles sweatsuit. So he's like, nah, you know, I'm I'm deactivated today or whatever. He's like, you want to come hang out? So he, he tailgates with us the whole day. That's pretty funny. So we're we're asking all these questions randomly. I was like, you know, let me start asking questions. So this was this one moment I was really surprised about. So I'm like, I was like, tell me, you know, who's the guy that holds you all together? Like. Like, who's the guy, the glue that holds you all together? And he said, he said, Chris Long. He said, he's the dude that holds it down. Yeah. So my question here is, that, talk about locker room dynamics. What is the role you play with the Eagles? And how important was it to have glue guys like yourself to help win a championship? Well, that's funny that Qualls was out there. I mean, we used to get Qualls a lot of shit. There's a rookie and just he's fun guy. Uh, and I probably would have given him hell for being at a tailgate, you know. <laughs> he uh, was chilling with me the whole day. You know, Quails, he just falls. We got Quails, Quails, like we, he was our rookie. So, um, you know, he, um, you know, I think any of the young guys 
Yeah, we we all took pride as older guys in bringing young guys along. I mean, like, if you've been in the league a long time, if you've been in the league 10, 11 years, there's a reason you're there, and it's not just because of you. Like, you know, I've, I've worked my ass off to get where I am as a player. I'm proud of it. But there are also a bunch of people that when I was young took care of me and pulled me along. And so, you know, like, I think there's one dynamic is when you get to a new team as a, as a leader or, like, as a veteran – who just won a Super Bowl somewhere else, like people are going to look to you for advice sometimes, even if you don't have it. So I think between myself, LeGarrett, the ex- existing veterans that were there anyways, you know, like Malcolm Jenkins, um, you know, a whole bunch of guys that, you know, I'm not even mentioning selleck has been there forever. Kelsey, like we just had so much leadership. And there, it was, like I said, it was like different types of leadership. Like for me, I was a new guy who had won something, so people ask you questions, right, wrong, or indifferent. They think you know the key to, like, winning in the playoffs, which you don't. Um, you know, if you learn anything, you learn that, you know, the only thing you that that you can do in the playoffs to try to increase, increase your chance to win a Super Bowl is to execute. You know, when guys used to ask me, hey, Chris, what's the secret? As if I know, because I've been in the playoffs a month of my 10-year career. <laughs> um, I used to just say, like, listen, I've seen guys – um, who are stars, screwed up in the playoffs every year. You see that in January. A guy who is high profile, drop a ball, make a mental error, be out of their gap, miss a kick. And then you see young guys uh, that are capable of making plays in big spots. And I think the whole key was during that run as a veteran and, and as a leader was just telling guys to do their job, which is ironically a New England thing. But it is a very simple way of kind of approaching the playoffs. If you – if you go into the playoffs trying to make the biggest play of your life, you're probably going to make the biggest mistake of your life, right? Like, that's kind of what I learned. Um, you know, you, you you want to go into the playoffs and just focus on doing your job. So that was my job as a leader. And in the D-line room, like, I just wanted to have fun and be honest with young guys. Like, if young guys weren't, weren't getting it done, like, my, my whole thing was just to be an honest, open communicator and, you know, to invest in them as people and as, and as players, because people did that for me as a young guy. So I appreciate that Elijah would say that, but we had a lot of really great leaders on that team. And I think that's what made it special. We were deep, we were good. And we had like a real soul, like our team had a real soul. And that starts with the older guys, but it also, it's also that youth, that youth that we had, you know, like everybody was hungry. Nobody had done it before. You know, a few of us had, but um, but we were a hungry team and an experienced team and a deep team and a good team. Now, Elijah also said you were the funniest. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> He's like, okay. He's sometimes. like, I know. He's like, sometimes. I know, bro. <laughs> you know, that, that can help, too, though, being, like, honestly, just, you know, like, getting along with people. That can help you as a leader. Like, you know, if, if you're really interested in, like, spending 30 minutes after meetings, BS and playing pool, like that time's all important as a team. Like, so the long, the more guys hang around each other and want to be around each other and enjoy each other, like the, the better team you're going to have, you can have fun and win too. I mean, that's what we did. Um, and I know Lane said, you know, what he said about new England, but you know, I want to peel back the curtain. We had fun up there too. It's just a different kind of fun. Like there's different kind of way of doing things. And, and um, there's room for fun in football. There's room for having a good time. There's room for really loving coming to work. But the bottom line is accountability and communication. Those were the things that, you know, we tried to do. And the best teams are policed by the the players. 
the chemistry definitely played a big part in you know that Super Bowl run. Um, you know, and I just want to personally thank you. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to thank an actual person that was on that roster, but I'm glad I'm getting the opportunity now. <laughs> you fulfilled not only our us three, but so many fans in this community dreams that we've been waiting for, and you and you were part of that roster to go ahead and make it happen. I can't be more thankful. No, thank for bringing you. that Super Bowl trophy to the city, man. I always um, say, I, I thank you because I always say this. Anybody in the chat that would say like thank you to the player or whatever, like the reason my suit winning a Super Bowl in Philly was so special was because so many people loved it and enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> you know, I did it in New England too, and everybody loved it up there. And like, I was a part of a great team up there. But they'd done that a bunch before. Like, you know, like you're part of kind of an established thing, and to hear guys like you or older people that have been waiting sixty years, like, and say thank you, like. That's what made it awesome for me. So, hey, thanks, thanks to the fans. And yeah, I still the, say, thanks. Go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, go ahead. My fault. No, I was gonna, I was gonna say thanks for the birthday present because that was on my birthday. Whoa, that's <laughs> so, a good birthday. Slight flex. Yeah. That's an almost a really bad birthday too. <laughs> I was, it was, it was borderline. I was like, y'all yeah. can't let me down, man, because the whole married. season, <laughs> the whole season, I was like, they're gonna do it because I yeah. had never seen anything like the vibe that you guys brought that season, the vibe. energy that you guys brought. And as like old head, you know, in my forties, I'm like, I've I've been I've I've had the tears, but yeah. I've never I'd never seen what you guys put down. That yeah, year. well, it was belief. I think you know a lot of it. People, you know, we talk a lot about Carson getting hurt late in the year. I mean, we just were not um, we weren't an easily shaken team, and I think like we never really had much to lose. Even when we started to figure out we were good, like everything changed. Like the minute I explained this to somebody the other day. We went to Kansas City early in the year. We know Kansas City's good. This was before Mahomes. This was right before Mahomes took the job from Alex Smith. We went to Kansas City, got beat down there, really gave the game away. So we know we're actually not bad. Like early in the season, you never know how good you are unless you're like the best of the best or the worst of the worst. And those are the only two teams I've been on my whole life. So I've only been on the Rams and the Patriots. So I know, you know, I know what really good looks like and I know what this is going to be a long year. Buckle up looks like. The Eagles, like that year, we were, we weren't sure. We were kind of figuring out. So you go to Kansas City, you give a game away. You think, all right, we might be good. Then we pick up steam and we start blowing teams out, like Denver, and we start beating the teams we're supposed to beat, which is a sign of a good team. And I'm thinking, oh, we're pretty good. Then we go on the road and beat LA, who was like kind of the flavor of the month after we lost to Seattle on the road in a game that really hurt us, that really bothered us. And we stayed out west and we beat LA. So the day we realized that we were pretty damn good, like, and we could, we could beat anybody was the day we lost our MVP caliber quarterback. So it's pretty interesting. Like just when we got to the point where maybe we'd arrested on like our laurels, got a little bit more too confident. We lost a key piece of the team that kind of reset that hunger in us to be underdogs again. Like we were underdogs the entire season, even as a one seed. And I think that journey was really unique to a Super Bowl team. Yeah, so you talk about Carson Wentz, and uh, you know I, I was definitely one that was excited when we signed the kid um, when he first started his very yeah. first NFL game. I was all in. Um, it was definitely an MVP year, and you have to give Carson all the credit in the world because he played a big factor in getting this right. Super Bowl run. Uh, so, which leads me into my question: uh, from from the perspective playing with Carson, the two years you were here. What was the locker room chemistry like? And then how did it all fall apart? See, I don't think – see, 
the chemistry was fine with Carson. Like I didn't play receiver. So like whenever I've commented on this, I've always tried to be like, listen, I was a defensive player, but anytime I've been on a team where there was like a bad guy, you know about it. So like I'd start reading articles before I heard anything, you know what I mean? And so my only thing with Carson was there's very imperfect leader, like not a perfect leader. Like Nick Foles would be closer to like a perfect leader. Right. Um, Nick Foles had like something special about him. That's also because he was the guy that stepped in. And I think like that guy has to have that about him. So a little bit of Carson is always being compared to Nick. You know, I think being compared to Nick is a tough thing. Like Nick has a very special way about him. Like when you walk in uh, the huddle, you know, I've never in a huddle with Nick, but guys tell me, you know, and knowing Nick, I play with Nick in St. Louis, play with Nick in Philly. Like he's got gravitas. Carson doesn't have like, you know, exceptional gravitas. He's not like a guy who's going to venture into every corner of the locker room, but I've also played with a ton of guys like that. So what I saw with Carson was, was a guy that um, shouldn't have played hurt, came back. He wasn't healthy. Uh, I think things started to really kind of snowball at that point. And, you know, any tension or, you know, interpersonal bullshit, um, I think that 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 all goes away if you're performing. Like nobody said a word about this stuff until he was hurt, in my opinion. Like I didn't, right. I didn't, I never heard a negative thing about Carson until he was hurt and he wasn't performing up to people's standards. And so I, I like to keep that in mind. And I know like there's going to be people in Indy now. You know, I've read a couple of reports where people are like his leadership wasn't great. Are we even asking the question if it's not for the Philly stuff? You know, and, and it's fair to ask the question, but I just some, think sometimes we'll just chase something down until we find something. And with Carson, I never thought of him as a bad guy. I always thought of Carson as a good person, not a perfect leader, certainly not a perfect football player. Unfortunately, I don't know if he it'd be you, it'd be hard for me to imagine him getting back to that level of play. And uh, and, you know, that's OK, because the guy has a really big piece of that Super Bowl, in my opinion. I mean. You know, some people can, you guys, that people that never played on the team could tell me, hey, he didn't mean anything to the team. I don't care about home field advantage. We don't get home field advantage. We don't win that Super Bowl. That's right. I'm just telling you. And so every, you know, if somebody thinks I had something to do with that Super Bowl, Carson had a bigger, bigger deal to do with that Super Bowl than I did. You know, Carson was a quarterback for damn three quarters of the season. And counter for most of our wins that went in that home field advantage. So he's a guy that no matter what people say about him, I judge him off of what I know about him and what I've seen him do. And I've never seen him be a dickhead. You know, I've never seen him be like a bad guy in a locker room. You might want more out of Carson, and that's fair. But, you know, people take things to the extreme a lot. And I think unfortunately it started with kind of that unnamed sourcing stuff which bothered me, but the team chemistry, as far as like Carson's concerned, I don't think things got weird until he was hurt, you know, until he was hurt and he came back and his back was messed up. When you tear, tear your ACL, if you rush back and you've already got other issues, everything overcompensates. Like any injury you have in pro football, like you're, you're under the gun to get back fast. Right. And Carson's a competitor. I will say this about him for all his faults. He wants to be really good. You know, if he has a fault, he's stubborn. You know, like he's going to force that ball in. He wants to do it his way, which all the great ones are, right? And some of the not so great ones are too. Right. You know, because if you're great, if you're like 
if you're that good, you know, you get away with being stubborn until you don't. And I think if there was one thing and this persists in the indie, and you see it on the film on the field end of the Tennessee game, you know, would be a perfect example. Like, you know, and that's a, a game that in the middle of the season you're not really worried about. But if you look back at it, that losing that game means something. Losing the New England game late, you know, or winning that New England game. But his performances add up where you need him to make a throw in crunch time and instead he's forcing the ball in somewhere like once a game where you're like, why? Like that's stubbornness. And, I, you know, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a, a you know, um, a character flaw that some people make it. I think that's his biggest character flaw is just being stubborn. And, you know, I, I'm glass houses with that. So I try not to pile on him. Um, but I do think once you're hurt, everything gets magnified. If you can't. What have you done for me lately? You know, I was in St. Louis six years, captain, played in 100 straight games. I go out there the first play of year seven, and I get rolled up on. So I've been, the next two years, I'm hurt until they cut me. And then I broke my leg the next year trying to get back. You should see the way people turn on you. You know what I mean? Like when you get hurt in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard anybody publicly say anything bad about me as a teammate, but you know, if I was a quarterback, I don't know. So I just, I try to look at everything like very compassionately. Um, I know that dude was going through a lot. He could be better as a leader, but not a bad guy. Well, I appreciate that because it answers a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are still talking about Carson and for good reason. <laughs> starting quarterback in the league. Yeah, Chris. So next question for me is what does the city of Philadelphia mean to you? especially knowing that you brought millions of fans across the world, the first Lombardi and lifelong dream. It means a lot. I mean, like, you know, if, if I think about my career and you say like, um, and you say like, what do you think of when you think of something happy? I think of two things really. Well, three things, obviously the new England Super Bowl was amazing. Like, but the Philly thing was just, I mean, that made my career. Like I always say this, um, you know, winning the Super Bowl in New England was like a relief for me because it made my career kind of worth it, you know, like validated some individual success, made me feel like it wasn't a waste of time. Um, I don't know what I would have walked away like had we lost that game to Atlanta. Like, I don't know where I'd be mentally right now. I don't know what I would do. I'd probably have quit. I'd have retired after that year. There's no way I would have kept playing because when I got there, I was so fed up and I just wanted to wing. I was ring chasing. But Philly, you know, I didn't cry after the New England Super Bowl. It was like a deep breath, you know. The Philly Super Bowl, I just lost it. <laughs> you know, like I just could not stop balling, dude. And, you know, I think that told me a lot about where it was. It was like New England kind of uh, – kind of, kind of, it was a relief. And then Philly, Philly was just, I'm okay now. You know, like – I've done what I need to do here. You know, like it felt like I could walk away. Now, of course I didn't because you don't want to be the guy on the couch just watching your buddies repeat because you can really feel after you win a championship, like people talk about being a champion all the time. People talk about how special that feels. And I only got to taste it for a little bit, but the taste of like walking back out on the field the next year and being the world champs is a really badass feeling. And then it's not because invariably like teams struggled the next year. I mean, like most teams do. And, and we kind of struggled that year, but the DNA of that team was still there. It was so persistent, even for all our shortcomings and crappy games and 
the locker room didn't feel the same at times. But like 2018 in the playoffs, we were a drop and a fake field goal away from being right back in the same position. Because, you know, I don't want to do what Alvin Kamara did two years ago saying we would have beat the Eagles. No, you wouldn't have. But I do think we'd at least had a shot to beat the Rams. We beat a month earlier. And, you know, that New England matchup wouldn't have been so bad in the Super Bowl. So the DNA of that team was there. It just the repeating part was the one thing. If I look back, I'm like, man, I wish we were a little bit more ready to make a run there. Yeah. You're like Will Ferrell in, uh, you know, once the taste hits your lips, man, like, he, like <laughs> yeah. I got I got to come back. Uh-huh. I wanted to come back because I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to get FOMO. Um, hey, we're, we're glad that you did come back. You know, we want we wanted we wanted a third year, but I wanted okay. a third, I wanted a third year. Um, you know, shit. I'd still, you know, some days I'm like I'd still like to be playing. I'm 36. I, you know, I was playing at a high level, but everything works out for a reason. Um, you know, we weren't seeing the whole thing that happened was um, they signed who was the D tackle, not Hargrave, uh, the the other guy they signed in 2018, good player. I'm just blanking on his name. Um, uh, from uh, Denver, uh, M- Malik. Malik Malik Jackson. Malik, great player. Like had some great years, and you know I was in Tanzania doing uh, a water boys thing. I was sitting there with Kelsey actually. I think I was at a table with Kelsey. We were having a beer, and I got a text that they were signing Malik Jackson. And the way this I explain this is like. If I'd have come back and not been on sub, because Malik, they really wanted an inside guy that could rush every down. You know, like the year before it was, I kicked BG inside, I rushed outside. On the other side, you have Fletch and Derek Barnett. They wanted a deep tackle that could play every down. And uh, I think Schwartz was betting on me kind of getting old. And they just said, like, hey, Chris, if you want to come back, you're probably a 10 snap a game, 15 snap a game guy tops and probably first and second down and you know for me like it's not like i didn't want to play football anymore but i was like i'm not ready to be that guy i'm already being like kind of that rotational vet and i'm and i might think i should play more so you know you only get so many reps before your body just falls out from under you and i didn't want to be like my dad where you know my pops he's jacked up physically and he played 13 years and of course that was a different era but i just wanted to get out healthy so after 2018, I took my time, but once they signed Malik, I got that news in Tanzania, and I sat back down at the picnic table we were at, and I took a sip of my beer, and I said, I think it's over for me. It's like, I'm That's done. Me. So hey, man. Uh, that was it. And you can always be a 36-year-old in a karate class, you know, <laughs> little, little Thai boho. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. It's, it's all good. Now, a question for here. In a world of 140 characters, what is the biggest misconception about Chris Long on Twitter. Oh man, like on Twitter, because I, you know, I, I like the juice you bring on Twitter. Like, yeah, I'm, well, I'm done. So here's the thing: like, I think most people think of me as this guy that all he wants to do is talk about really heavy shit. You know, like because I was, I opted into some really tough but necessary conversations, and so like everybody's always bracing for me to talk about some like really what they deem political or serious stuff. And long before that, I was having fun on that app. Um, You know, uh, when the time's right to be honest, I'm honest. And um, when the time's right to have fun, I have fun, like full out both ways. So 
I think that can be hard because Twitter is a place where, you know, people come and go. They they see a tweet, they go back to their timeline. They, they might not follow me. Um, you know, Twitter is, and really sports media, it's like now a thing where you give a quote, they blow it up in big letters, and they put it in front of a picture. You looking all mad or bold. Or like, <laughs> mad online, Chris. Yeah, receipts, receipts. Bold. They got receipts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you start, they start, you know, like if, I just got tired of that app, dude. And I'm I'm on it still. I still have a little fun on it, but I deleted it from my phone. So it's like this really nice balance where I got to sit down at a laptop. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to actually get on and tweet. And honestly, a week away from that thing, and I'm not sorry at all. But I would say, like, I think a lot of people like, don't think I like having fun, which is a weird thing. I think a lot of people just know me from, you know, some really important necessary conversations that we had, you know, on two teams that were really high profile that was on late in my career. And for most of my career, um, you know, I was on that thing having fun and nobody really knew who I was and knew who I was. Nobody was watching the St. Louis Rams. So I think what's tough for me, two big misconceptions, that one, I like to have a lot of fun. And then the, the most important part is that, I think there's a lot of people that never watched me play when I was really good, you know, and that, and that still bugs me a little bit because of where I played. And, you know, that's why maybe when I got to Philly, like I was a little bit like, yeah, I'll put on the role player hat, but not for five years and not like every year my role gets smaller because, you know, this is my first time having a chance to play in front of 70,000 people all the time. This is my first time playing on Monday night football. This is my first time playing in big spots in the playoffs and, I think a lot of people who never saw me play will think of me forever as this rotational pass rusher. And uh, and I think that sucked when I got to Philly. It was like starting over, but I totally respect it. It's like you got to earn your respect, and that's what I like about Philly fans. Well, you came in and did your thing, man, regardless of how people looked at you playing for the Rams. But when you yeah. played for us, listen, us three right here and, and, and our fourth guy, Evan, which wasn't able to join us today, but – we definitely don't look at you that way. We saw that when you came onto the team, it was a plus. You showed it every week. And, I mean, you played that season to, to the best. No, so, definitely it. don't think of that. No, um, with that being said, uh, now that you're retired, do you catch yourself comparing your game to other players playing your position? And do you miss the game? I do. It's inevitable, like – that like a young guy comes in and he can rush and you're like, I wonder if I'm as good as him. Or like, <laughs> if he's as, you know, and most guys, because the reality of the NFL is it just moves on and you got to be okay with that. And that's one of the hardest part of retiring. I think guys have is like the game just moves on, right? Like they don't care about you unless you're like great, great. And that's one of the special things about being a champion. That's how you can freeze time, right? That's how I can still get the same love when I come to Philly. Like I'm playing on Sundays because we did something special, right? Um, but generally, the game moves on. So you watch these kids, you're like, damn, they already made three of me this year. Like, there's three new models. <laughs> They're all better than me already. You know, um, I think Matt, I, when I watch Max Crosby, um, I, I don't know that I was, we we're totally different players in a lot of ways. Like, I took a picture next to Max Crosby. Um, and he's like a foot taller than me. <laughs> like I look like a kid and he's so all, he's like one of my favorite players, but I think the multitude of moves that he used, like he doesn't have one go-to and he can kind of counter off of every move. Um, 
you know, that kind of a little bit reminded me of my style as a rusher sometimes, you know, always around the quarterback. Like this year he had like four sacks and people, and he went to the Pro Bowl because he's that good and everybody knows it. Um, he's like a, he's like a, he's a hitter that hits for average and power, you know, like he's always putting the ball in play as a rusher. There's a lot of rushers who, you know, they might have eight or 10 sacks in a year, but they're going to be out of the rush a lot. Like whether they get washed or they they take a playoff, like he takes no plays off. He's always in the face of the quarterback. And that's something I always try to pride myself on. So if I was to compliment myself as a rusher, I would have said, Hey, like I watched Max Crosby. I'm like, Hey, that I identify with that. You know, he never stops. Now, Chris, uh, Steven from the chat says, uh, besides the playoffs, which regular season game was your favorite with the Eagles? Uh, regular season game. I loved, I loved, I loved the LA game. Cause I love playing at the Coliseum with that flame up there. It's so old school and just the whole story of what we went through there and did, but I loved playing Oakland at home when they were Oakland before the playoffs it was so cold mm-hmm. like it was so cold it wasn't as cold as the next week where we played dallas at home but that game didn't mean anything right right we were playing for home fleet advantage it was marshawn lynch who i played for a number of years in the nfc west great deal of respect for for money lynch and you know i got his jersey that's one of my favorite that's probably my favorite jersey i have traded and i got it from that game because all those years when we played each other in St. Louis, I didn't want to be like, hey, division rival. Let me go trade. But this is it for me. It might be it for him. Derek Barnett's um, touchdown at the end of the game. We're in the corner of the end zone. Beast mode, you know, had had chased the play and I chased the play. And the game's over at this point. And I grabbed him, like, let me get that jersey. Like, you're not leaving without. So I got his jersey, had a sack, you know, had a sack or two We. We uh, actually, my sack was kind of embarrassing because I forced a fumble and I didn't know it. And I went to celebrate, and the ball was on the ground. <laughs> and somebody picked it up from the Raiders. And thank God, Yank was like, you know, Superman from the second level, like ran up and made the play. But I just loved, I just loved, I love cold weather games. I love night games at the link. Um, that was something I never got. You know, like a home game out in the cold under the lights. Like that's football. And uh, I just loved it. There was so much on the line. It was windy. It was low scoring. Defense had to come to play. It was awesome. I love that game. All right, Chris. Uh, your podcast, the Greenlight Podcast with Chris Long, has grown exponentially the last few years. What does that mean to you? And who is the guest you're hoping to have on? You know, it means a lot. I know you guys probably go through this because um, – you guys have microphones and you guys got to talk for a living and that sort of thing. But like, I hate myself, dude. When I'm on the, you like, I don't know about y'all, your voice, like, you know, oh, it drives me crazy. It drives oh, me crazy. Dude. I switch mics. I bought, I'll buy like a more expensive mic. Like maybe I won't hate myself. And I think I sound like shit if I buy this mic, but I still don't like my voice. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, you know, it means a lot because number one, people don't hate you. Like not everybody hates you. Cause that means like some people like your shit. Um, and then also um, it's taught me a lot about myself because this is something totally different than football. You know, like it's such a challenge for football players to succeed at something after football. And it's something I take pride in as like the next challenge. And 
I didn't want to go into retirement and not be challenged. And, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but y'all know, like a lot more goes into a podcast or doing this stuff or content creation than just turning it on. And so, you know, I got a staff of five dudes. We're grinding. We do three shows a week during the football season on top of some other stuff I'm doing. We have guests of all types of different, you know, we really work hard. And so it's something I can kind of replace the grind of football with, you know, like something to answer to and, I think eventually what you have is a group of people that really like your stuff and you feel like responsible to deliver them content and, you know, to be, when somebody comes up to you and I'm sure you guys have had it happen to be like, thanks for doing what you do because I was having a bad day. I turned your shit on or whatever, you know, it feels like I'm in a room with my friends listening to people talk about football. Like that's, that's why we do it. Right. The money's good, but that's why you choose this job over other jobs. So, you know, um, it's a lot of fun and it's a good sign that it's growing. And um, it's just, it's hard, man. Podcasting's hard. It's harder than playing in some ways. And like, it's less physical and scary and all that stuff. But, um, you know, when I turn the microphone on and I got to talk to somebody, I'm nervous. Maybe I don't feel like talking that day. You know, I have social anxiety. So some people, I don't really like, you know, it might take me a second, but um, it's awesome. And to answer your question, probably. If I had one guest on my bucket list, I was it's Willie Nelson. Ooh, Willie Nelson, nice. 86 years old or whatever he is. He just put out his 90th album. I would love to burn one with Willie. <laughs> even if, but even if we weren't, even if Willie didn't light up, like or I didn't light up, which would be relative rarity recording the podcast, uh, I would have a great time. He's my favorite of all time, probably up there. Nice. So Willie Nelson. I like that one. Now I got I got a, you know, there, there's not a lot of players that got the opportunity to get back to back championships with two different teams. You can, you name some of the players that hold that, uh, Ken Norton Norton jr. Look at you. Garrett Blunt. Uh, Chris Long. Uh, is there there (laughs) one more? Not, is there one more? There's a couple more. Not Dion. No. Dion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then how many more do I have here? Uh, you better yeah, believe I'm on a short list. I know the list. <laughs> <laughs> y'all know the records y'all have, but uh, I'll help you out here. Look at this list here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ken Norton, yeah. Deion Sanders, um, Derek Martin, Brandon Browner. The oh, yeah. Mandolin. Katie. Yeah. How yeah, about Shady? Yeah, yeah Shady two. just got it done. Shady, um, Shady did, uh, you know, Bucks and Chiefs. That was awesome. I, and Shady uh, is a guy I've gotten off the field a little bit. I really like him. He's funny as hell. I mean, like, I know he's well-liked in Philly. He is a piece of work. So I was really glad to see him get that ring, man. I mean, speaking of being high or whatever, but, like, two years in a row winning Super Bowl, like, that's got to be a legend. Like, not a lot of people could say that, man. Like no, two years in a row winning Super Bowls. You know what? I you know I don't believe I don't believe like I don't believe everything happens for a reason because if it did, a bunch of people would have had that. Like plenty of guys have lost as much as me. You know, like I played with a guy named James Hall who was like my kind of OG or whatever. He was my older older D line dude who was grumpy, didn't give me the time of day for a year. Then we became like best buddies. He actually climbed Kelly with me the first time I ever did. He was like. Michigan grad, Detroit Lions his whole career, never won, like 60 career sacks. So, like, wildly underrated that probably most people haven't heard of James Hall. But 
uh, he never got to win. You know, guys like that, like he never got that thing I got, which was like a life raft after getting cut from the team you're on for a long time. Like there's so many guys like me who went through a decade of losing and never got to feel what was it, what it was like on the other side of things. So I just feel I don't want to say blessed because I don't think I don't think he has anything to do with stuff like that. Um, you know, not otherwise, you know, James Hall would have a ring. Like, I don't want to say, I, I would just say lucky, you know, persistence and good luck. I think that's the key to anything. I mean, we used to have a, in our D line room in St. Louis is my favorite. It's my favorite meeting room I've ever been in, you know, and that includes like some of the awesome players I play with on championship teams. Like I was in there with Aaron Donald, um, you know, William Hayes, Eugene Sims, Robert Quinn, Kendall Langford, Nick Fairley. Like we were like, they wasted kind of an all-star team. And we used to have a thing on the wall. You could Google this shit. It's a corny little sign, but, and I'm not into signs. I'm not into like saying signs, none of that. I don't need that to be motivated, but it was this dude and he was digging for a diamond. There were two of them. There was one here and one here. And the first guy digging for a diamond, they showed him just giving up with his pickaxe on his shoulder and he's walking away. There's a there's a, a rock wall in front of him right on the other side of the diamond. And the guy below is just hammering away. And obviously the next year he's gonna get the diamond. And like my thing, the only reason I didn't quit late in my career was because of kind of that idea was like just one more trip to the table. You know, which can be a bad thing. <laughs> but for a football player, I was like, just one more trip to the table. If I just if I just roll the dice one more time, you know, maybe I'll get to see that. And I did, and I was very lucky. You know, as I worked really hard, but winning Super Bowls, like people always say, like, oh, you're a champion, you 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 won two Super Bowls in a row, that puts you on a short list. Like I didn't do anything. Like I did do stuff, but I was on a team, you know, and I I I believe that with all of my heart, like just like kind of when people ask, what's the key to win a Super Bowl when you get to Philly? Like the first, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I do know, but, <laughs> but I didn't do, it's not like I did anything different than anybody else. I just kept working. And that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, any football player that's got, dealt with a lot of losing, all you can do is just keep spinning the wheel. Um, and I got lucky. Nice. Um, what's your favorite moment? In your NFL career, who could I? Should I exclude the? Um, yeah, exclude the Super, the Super Bowl. Yeah, let's let's exclude the Super Bowls. I mean, the NFC Championship when we played Minnesota was awesome. I mean, you know, so loud, so I mean, like everything about that night felt like it was like out of a movie. I mean, really, and, you know, everybody's seen the video of Meek and, you know, you know, uh, Dreams and Nightmares, we're warming up and the whole stadium knows what time it is. And <laughs> and I've always said, like, I said this once and I see people tweet about this, but I was like, anybody could have got it that night. Like any, like, I mean, <laughs> like any team, I don't, I'll piss an older player off when I say, but like, that's good luck walking into that. I mean, we were just so charged up and everybody was ready to erupt. And, you know, just to be a part of a play, you know, the the P-Rob pick six, to affect a play like that. And, you know, I've heard people say to me, it's the loudest I've heard the link. Like, 
I'm nobody, man. I just showed up at the right place at the right time. But to be a part of something like that, oh, man, I could tell my grandkids about that. I yeah. mean, it's um, that was a great night, man. Yeah, no, and was a great night. Yeah, that, that night was everything to me because, like, the Super Bowl, I was so confident that we were going to win the Super Bowl right. after that game because it was one of those things where, like, that's one of my favorite memories, not even from the Eagles, but just in life because yeah. my friend, my best friend and I, we lived together with our other uh, roommates in college, and we're all together watching this game, and we didn't know how high scoring it's going to be. It's a championship game. It's like, ah. Oh, Shot of Jameson every single time the Eagles score, <laughs> uh, beer bong every quarter, and like Kyle Rudolph scores, and we're all like throwing shit in the living room, and then we're like, like we need a spark, we need a spark right now. Then all of a sudden we see your big arm go and hit Kirk, and uh, and dude, as soon as P Rob starts going, and Ronald Darby took a like a absolute like bullet oh, to like chest, like chest blown, and when that stadium just like exploded like that entire night is almost like a blur like we were playing sandstorm and running around with the speaker out in, in college <laughs> no, yeah, like no, like we were like we were like punching stop signs like my one friend was on all fours running down the street barking you at this lady punch, with you shouldn't punch stop signs everybody out there that was it was a one night thing <laughs> yeah it, it was just absolute pandemonium but like that's what i mean like you're like oh like i'm nobody but it's like that's one of those things where you realize like your entire life, like every rep you took from peewee to being uh, like in two days that year, like led you to be there in that moment and get your hand up there and that's deflect it. the ball for and Kirk you, Cousins. Your entire you, life led to that moment. You don't know. And that's the thing is like, and it's funny. I said this before those playoffs, like, cause Doug used to pull vets up and they said like, what's the key that whole song and dance about like, Hey, you won a Super Bowl, so tell us the fucking secret. You know, <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, but you know, I said, I was like, you don't know what your play is going to be. I told everybody, like, listen, like, don't try to do too much because I told him, like, hey, in my first play in the New England game, I had a terrible play playing Houston that I just tried to do too much, jumped out of my gap. You know, luckily it was like an eight yard game, but that felt like forty when Bill calls you the sideline. You know. Um, and I had been waiting my whole life to be in the playoffs, so I was trying to make a play. So don't try to do that and be and just realize your play could be anything. Like your play could be something that doesn't even so, show up in the stat sheet. And for me, you know, Super Bowl, like I said, playing Atlanta down 28-3 at this point, I'm a sub guy. Like I wasn't playing first and second down, so I'm just a third down guy there, not like in Philly. And because we played like, uh, you know, they reduced me to three technique. Um, I hadn't registered like a damn tackle in the Super Bowl. I've waited my whole life. We can't even get to sub in the first half. We can't get to third down. So I haven't even played like I'm out there like, damn, am I going to tear my hamstring? If I was if I wasn't so old and slow, I definitely tear my hamstring coming out of the half. But in the second half, waiting to make a play, waiting to make a play close a bunch pressures hits. The last drive, I, I, I drew a, hell, a hold after Trey Flowers sacked Matt Ryan, and that was my play. You know, and that hold and Trey's sack knocked him out of field goal range and, and ultimately, I think, had something to do with us winning that game. Small part, not what I imagined. I always imagined, like, a strip sack or, like, you know, pick up a ball, run for a touchdown. Like, that's what you dream about, but – you, you don't always get what you want. You get what you need. Like what I needed to do was make 
a play that didn't show up on the stat sheet, really. And the same thing in the NFC Championship. You know, for all the good plays I would have made or whatever. And at the time, sure, I'd love to knock the piss out of Case Keenum and the ball fly up in the air and get the sack. But if I do that, probably we don't score a touchdown, you know. And I don't get a stat for that. But, you know, that's the lesson to younger players is, you know, don't try to do too much. Take the play as it comes to you. You know, the, the play doesn't care who makes it. And that's something that I've heard Zach say now and a couple of other guys. They were really receptive to that. Hey, Chris, sometimes you got you just got to take a couple chips out of it, you know. There you couple, go. See? Couple, yeah. see that? There I got the go. graphic for you. I found yeah. the graphic for you. I got that on my wall. <laughs> it's a life lesson. Yeah, Chris, this question for me, it's this is one that, like, I had a brother that I played football with. No, we played – we never got to play together, which is something that I really wish we got to do, but we never were able to because we were four years apart. But I know you and Kyle are very close. Uh, would you rather have your two Super Bowl wins or just one, but it was with your brother Kyle playing together? Oh, I would have given – I'd definitely give one back. No question. The Patriots like, one? Yeah, I mean – Probably, but, you know, if it, it came down to it, it was something like, hey, your brother gets a ring and uh, you do too. Like, whatever I have to do. I mean, I just know how, how hard it is. I mean, and, and my brother's been a great player for a long time, had to deal with a lot of injuries and stuff and was close this year with Kansas City. But that's why, that's why, the, that's why it's like a big deal. I mean, it takes so much luck to win that thing too. I, I would give one to my brother too. Now, um, you know, the, the moment between you and Malcolm resonated with people across the country and the fan base. Describe what this meant for the brotherhood and the bond you formed with Malcolm after. Well, it meant it, it, I think it meant a lot. I mean, like, listen, Malcolm and I were cool, but we weren't tight before that. I mean, this is the preseason, you know, like if anybody knows Malcolm, like, you know, if you get a smile out of Malcolm, that's a, it's a big deal. So I, you know, used to try to try to just see if I get a smile out of him. That was the extent of our like <laughs> friendship relationship at that point. And um, there was some serious stuff going on. And we had been on some group texts actually when I was in New England about, you know, a lot of the social unrest and some of the demonstrations going on and, you know, solutions like, uh, you know, what we can do as a league to try to, Try to take an, take this opportunity where people are they have eyes on what we're doing. Like maybe we could parlay this into some real action, and that was something Malcolm's been at for a while, right? So it was before Buffalo and uh, that week, and um, you know we had had those terrible events in Charlottesville, which is right down the street from me. I mean, I live outside Charlottesville. My kids go to school here, and um, some bad people, you know. You know, we'll go down. The, everybody knows what happened there. Um, I don't I don't remember ever being so damn. You know, this stuff has happened for eons, man, like since the inception of this place that we call home. I mean, like there's been an ugly side. Right. And um, so this isn't the first time that I've ever been upset about something like that. But it was something about seeing it in my hometown, which is dumb. You know, it's dumb to be like, well, it's my hometown. So. But what really especially set me off was I felt like the president at that time had an opportunity as a leader 
to bring people together. And to do that, he would have had to ruffle the feathers of some people that I guess he felt like he needed. Um, and so he shit down his leg. And I can remember watching him shit down his leg uh, in the parking lot of the damn where I don't know where we used to train in camp down in the Navy yard. And I was in the parking lot watching everything that happened after a training camp day. And I was just, man, this is disheartening. And I just imagine like, if I didn't look like me after all the bullshit that I would have been through to turn on the TV and see the president, not even make an effort frankly, in my opinion, to smooth things over, to make it right, to make people feel safe, to make people feel like this isn't okay. Um, and I was pissed. And, you you know, some people listen to this thing might have different opinions than me, and that's fine. This is my opinion. And so uh, I woke up the next morning, and I was like, I'm from Charlottesville. I'm a white guy. Um, and nobody is really supporting outwardly Malcolm. And I just was like, I would like to support him and make a statement as a dude who doesn't have to deal with the stuff that he has to deal with, that I'm with him. Now, that's without that's without taking the spotlight from him. So that morning I walked into the cafeteria before the game and I just sat down with Malk and Rodney, who I'm closer with at that time. And I just said, like, hey, Malk. I'd like to, I'd like to, to have your back on this thing. You know what I mean? Like something to that effect. And let me know if you're cool. If I put my arm around you when you're demonstrating tonight, like just because I just think it's important that people see that there are people that have your back that don't look like you. And he said, I appreciate that. And it was kind of like that kind of conversation. I just said, I just want to make sure I don't like steal your shine. Cause you know, how all of a sudden like one white guy does like half a thing and everybody's like, look at this guy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that was probably the biggest thing, you know, it's one thing to get messages where people fucking hate you. I can deal with that. Like I got all types of messages. I got, you know, I got a dude messaged me and said, Hey, you know, with a real picture next to his Instagram and the whole thing, like I'm going to knock your teeth down your throat with a baseball bat in front of your family. Like that's how mad if, if anything proves that we have a problem, it's that guy doing that. Cause I put my arm around my, my, my black teammate. So, and there were plenty of stuff, stuff like that. It doesn't bother me. I'm perfectly safe. I feel safe. I am safe. Um, but I could only imagine, and I didn't have to imagine because I saw some of the voicemails, some of the messages, some of my teammates got for just saying something like we have something to work on in this country. And, you know, any team I've ever been on, the minute that team is complacent, it goes to shit. And I felt like, like here we are with an opportunity as a country to not be complacent to say, yeah, you can love living here, but let's improve it. And these are some ways how, and Malcolm not only demonstrated, but also gave like substantive reasons and ways that he could improve, you know, society and we could improve society. So I really appreciate Malk as a leader. I wouldn't have put my arm on just anybody. You know, I really do think he walks the walk. I mean, if you, you follow what he does, he has walked the walk. So, you know, and that kind of just turned into this thing. Now, the one thing I do feel uncomfortable about, if I'm being honest, and eventually it's got me to do a little bit less, you know, 
talking more action quietly is you become this guy because you're like one of the only guys talking or demonstrating that look like I do that you become like this, this guy where people give you too much credit. And for a while there, I was getting too much credit. And, um, I was in this weird spot where I was like, okay, well, I, I know I'm making a difference, but I kind of hate being a fucking hero for just saying that like, Hey, police should be accountable, you know, like, or, Hey, like, let's, let's talk about bail reform or, Hey, let's talk about, you know, mass incarceration, like anything, dude, let's just talk about racism. So just to have that conversation as a white dude, people started really lifting me up in a way that I thought was unfair to some of my, 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 um, my teammates. And, you know, some of the people that were really, really going through it and did not look like me and took real risks. You know what I mean? Like real risks. Um, so that was a great thing. It was also something that kind of informed my kind of the way I move going forward, which I still work in that space. I still try to help where I can, but you know, a little bit of that hero shit kind of made me a little bit, a little bit gun shy, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense to y'all, but we, you know, I had those bold letter quote, look at this fucking great white hope guy. What a hero just for opening his mouth. Like it made me a little uncomfy after a while. You know, I I didn't, I didn't never once saw it that way. I, I just felt like it was a conversation that needed to be started. And just the fact that you've, you're standing, you know, besides Malcolm and standing in the presence of the messaging that was out there. I, I fully supported it. You know? No, well, I appreciate that, man. And honestly, like, I'm not saying it didn't do any good. I know it did good. Like, I know people, I know people were inspired by that. But like, I just wish we weren't in a place where, where we are so starved to to get some good news that like a a black guy and a white guy supporting each other on a football team, you know, like I, 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 you know, and, and um, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I got a lot of credit. I deserve some credit. Malcolm got a lot of credit. He deserves all the credit. Um, I will tell you a funny thing. I, I would have raised my fist, but I didn't want to be white guy with a fist. I, like, I didn't know what that looked like. So I was like, that's the best way I could do it is to put my arm around Malcolm, put my hand on his shoulder. And and you know what? Since then, I will tell you, like, when I get on the phone with Malcolm, we might not talk for two months, but it's I love you, man. Like, you know, me and Malk, um, we have a somewhat of a responsibility, you know, going forward because we, you know, we said – that's what we were about. And Malk's always checking that box. And it reminds me that I have to be who I say I am. And um, I just love the guy. He's, he's just a good person. He was a, he's a great, he's a great player and he's been a great, you know, he's a real activist. I'm not an activist. You know, I said this on an interview the other day, activism is like a real thing where people are occupationally activists. They risk their lives for it. The whole thing. And I, I I shy away a little bit because I don't want anybody to confuse me from somebody like that who really deserves some applause. Like Malk is an activist and has really he lives it. So I appreciate him. It was definitely a moment. I mean, especially the way some of those uh, our players and you know I, I talk about the Eagles how it, it got handled because a lot of teams around the league got a lot of shit because of the way they handled it. But yeah, when it came when it came to that moment, man, you guys um, I couldn't have been a more proud fan of the fact that you guys handled that very well. So 
I mean, I appreciate the fact that you kind of like broke that down for us because, you know, it's definitely a touching subject. Yeah, I don't um, talk about it like all, all the time. No, no, no. And yeah. I get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even about that. It's hard, you know, like and then people take a quote and whatever. But it was crazy. I remember I put my hand on his shoulder and it was just dead quiet because it was the anthem. And your back's to the crowd, really. <laughs> There's a solid like minute and a half where I'm like. I don't know what people are saying back because I, I didn't tell anybody but Mal, you know, and I think yeah. a lot of people during the game, after the game, like some people came up to me in the locker room, like I get like an appreciated or holy shit, but it was like well after the game because people didn't see it. You know what I mean? Like some yeah. people didn't even see it until after the game. Yeah. yeah I didn't see it after the game. You know, what, what a nice touch would have been a dashiki. Listen, hey, I'll do the best I can. There are limitations to what I can. Okay. <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah. Next time. So I, you know, seeing you play for the years that you played, and you know, I see that you kind of like, you know, that you got that character, and you, you're our ball breaker. So you know, yeah. my next question, my next question is, you know, I mean, seeing your dad play and seeing him do the broadcasting, he seems like that ball breaker type. What's it like at a family gathering with the Longs? Oh, man. Uh, well, to set the, the the table for you, I'm the third biggest guy. Like, you know, my dad's a, a huge guy. And my brother's 6'7", 330, you know, with abs. So <laughs> it goes to tell you, like, it's just a big group. Um, and, you know, everybody's pretty honest with each other. I think, like, what's really interesting about my family is, like, nobody holds back. You know, like there's just a lot of, we'll tell you exactly how we feel. So there's a lot of that in my family. And like, if we're all together, I mean, it would probably be one of the funniest and most tense podcasts at times <laughs> uh, ever. Um, my dad's awesome. He's like a great person and like so compassionate. I mean, like such a compassionate guy, um, somebody I love very much and, was about as good a dad as I could ask for, you know, somebody who didn't have a great, he didn't have a great upbringing growing up, you know, his, his situation was a lot different than mine and football gave him an opportunity to give us things that he never had. And so I just think he, he, he did a great job and, you know, we've, we've got a, we've got a, a family I'm proud of and it starts with him and my mom. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Chris, that leads directly into my next one. It was, uh, your dad had long as a living legend on and off the field. Uh, you absolutely lived up to and beyond expectations. Uh, as you navigate fatherhood, how important is it for you to instill the same lessons and traits with your kids? You know, it's funny, man. Like, um, so many expectations. I mean, like, I had a hell of a career, but it never touched my dad. You know, my dad's a Hall of Famer, 13 years in the NFL. Um a bunch of Pro Bowls. Um, so when you start your career, you're kind of like, hey, that may well be the way it goes. I mean, like if you if you win, like if I win, if I hit it out of the park, I'm still not going to be him. Um, now, everybody wants to be a Hall of Famer, right? But there's such a thin line between the really great ones and the really good ones. And, um, you know, you just have to go into it knowing like, Hey, to a lot of people, they will always look at your career as they'll compare it to your dad. You know, they'll always look at it as, hey, not good enough. You know, he was this, you were this. I keep things pretty simple. I look at the man in the mirror 
Um, if I'm proud of what I see, I'm good, man. Like, and I wasn't always like that. You know, there was a lot of pressure growing up and, um, I do think it made me a lot stronger, you know, like I get to a locker room and guys, these rookies are going through immense pressure and a lot of them have pressures that I didn't have, you know, maybe this is like their livelihood is a lot more, you know, it's a lot more check to check where they come from. And so there's a lot of different pressures that can, you know, that can weigh on you as a player. But for me, I knew I was really good with pressure and I was better with pressure than a lot of guys I play with because I've been dealing with it since I was five, six years old. Like, you know, like in my house, you get a nice dose of humility when you walk in the door, like, I played 10, you know, 11 years in the NFL at a family gathering. I'll be one of three guys with double digits years in, in my family at the dinner table. You know, there's a guy with a gold jacket at the end of the table. So, <laughs> like, for me to walk in and think I'm hot shit, I'm never going to do that. And I think that was the biggest gift that my dad gave me was a sense of reality, like a little humility. That doesn't mean as a football player – you got to think you're better than you are to survive. Like you have to. And I always had to wear that kind of armor and, and, and especially in the face of that pressure. But I, I think my dad was such a blessing in so many ways as a player, uh, the good far outweighed the bad, the bad being sometimes not going to be good enough for people. And Hey, that's fine. Cause man, the mirror says good. I did everything I possibly could exceeded my own expectations. Nice. Now, I, I think just the way that your dad raised you, um, you know, it, it definitely just you exude that. You know, the, the 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 funny thing I was telling the guys before the show is like when I when I when I think about Chris Long, I, it's funny because I don't think about your dad. I because I, 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 I think it's true because <laughs> I, I think about you and I, I'm like he either really did a great job of like bringing his best to, to the table but at the yeah. end of the day I, I i really don't really think about your dad and i i grew up you know a big fan of your dad's game and but you know it, it didn't hit me till i was listening to um the podcast where you interviewed your father and you and it was like you had these beautiful moments of just just sharing about like what he meant to you and i, and I was just like you know what god damn i i didn't I, I, I know <laughs> I, I know that's your dad, but I it's didn't. Funny. There's a lot just... of young players now that get yeah, were like, you know, when I was in like late in my career, I'd get one guy a month that would come up and be like, yo, that's your dad. You know, like your dad's a guy on with the. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is like, this is a generation now. I was joking with Michael Strahan about this when he came on my show. Sorry, Eagles fans. He's actually a buddy, but like, that's <laughs> Stray, like, um, and somebody's right, Feast with Pete. It's becoming a hall very good right now. There are, they are letting a lot of people in. Uh, but Stray, you know, what the hell were we talking about? Pete distracted me. We were talking nah, about you, you, you had Strayhan on your show, and you guys were talking about <laughs> oh, your father. Yeah, no, like, people don't know Stray for his career, some people. Like, people are like, that's the guy on Good Morning America now. Or, like, my dad was the Radio Shack guy, or like, and I think that's pretty cool that those guys did such a good job with their career and their second career. That they're killing it. They're killing. Yeah, it. Yeah, people forgot these are like like young people are going to remember, you know. And so it was cool for me at the end of my career where I got old enough that maybe some young people were like, I can judge this guy on his own accord. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Talk us through the origin of the underdog mask. Amazon.com, I think. Um, so basically, we were getting a bunch of questions before the Atlanta game, and all of them were, "Have you, have you, do you pay attention to the fact that nobody thinks you win, or like this, that, and third, and you know, like blah blah blah." And we were underdogs technically. I think Vegas underdogs. So, um, believe it or not, as much as I gamble now, I had no idea what the lines were back in the day. You know, we're not allowed to, and nor do I care. Like, um, but we knew we were dogs, and so I remember Lane was getting treatment. And I walked up to him after like a Wednesday or a Thursday, and was like, "Hey, dude, you know what we could do to really <laughs> people a little bit, like." To fuck with Jeff McClain and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are my guys. Just to have some fun. Like, keep things loose. Because I think that's an important thing. You guys talk about joking around in the locker room. Like, if you come to work and you handle your business, like, you you need to keep things loose, too. And some of what we did was taking pressure off of, like, everybody else. Me and Lane are the idiots in the dog mask that would have got crying Jordan. <laughs> we lost right but you know everybody else can kind of relax um i came to lane and was like hey man why don't we throw these dog masks on uh why don't we get some dog masks we'll wear them to the presser after we beat atlanta and um lane was like dude where are we gonna get them got 48 hours like you gotta hurry up when i tell you these masks came in the nick of time it was it was his job job to order it seniority here uh, he went out and ordered the mask and they got there like the morning of the game, basically. I don't know wow. if they deliver on Sunday mornings or whatever it was, but, um, the first time we put them on, I was like, damn, there's no going back now. Huh? Like, <laughs> like we absolutely will get skewered if Minnesota hammers us after this next week. But that just kind of, that was the biggest burn the ships moment. I think I ever had in my career. I was like, Hey, we're gonna do this lane, and people are gonna laugh at us for five years if we if we lose. But <laughs> burn the ships, man. You know, like fuck it. Like let's put them on, have some Roll the dice, play our flag, and we did, and we had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, Roll that's a great, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, Chris, you've been so gracious with your time, so uh, we're gonna get you out of here. Uh, just want to highlight all that you've done while you're in the NFL and now. I know that you're getting ready for your trip now, but. The Water Boys Foundation that you created and have built is phenomenal. I'm glad to have contributed and been a part of it. Uh, the goal is to is providing clean, accessible drinking water to communities in need. To date, Water Boys has served clean water to over 438,000 people. Tell us about what made you start the foundation and how listeners can get involved. And we have the information on the bottom as well to help people. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I appreciate you guys plugging that. We started Water Boys, uh, you know, golly, it's been six, seven years now. Uh, it was after when Jeff Fisher got hired, he had a picture on his desk. It was him climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with wounded veterans. And I was like, man, I'd like to do that one day. And he was like, yeah, that'd be good. And I was like, I'd like to do it next month. He was like, I just paid you a shit ton of money. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, is there anything in the contract about me climbing a mountain? No. So. I said, all right, Fish, now you just better give me advice. Like, so he hooked me up, told me, like, who to go with and that whole thing. I took James Hall, who I mentioned earlier, and went and climbed, and we had a blast. It was really hard. It's a 19,341-foot mountain. And 
it kicked our ass and we were down there drinking a beer celebrating uh in tanzania and somebody walked in the bar and said my name and i'm like i'm not that famous you know must be another chris in here sure enough it was joe buck wow oh, wow yeah dude joe <laughs> buck, who i happen to know works with my pops st louis guy i was in playing for the rams at that time sat down and had a beer with us told us what he was there for it was his first time on a water project he was there with the goodwill ambassador in tanzania couldn't go on their trip the next day, but kind of planned the seed in me, a guy who was trying to like actually start a foundation, not just do things kind of under wraps like I used to be doing. Um, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and uh, had such an awesome experience. I want to get into this water thing because I think it's the most efficient dem demonstrable way that we can change the world. And I really think your dollar goes really far uh, when you donate to a clean water cause. So we started Water Boys uh, not long after. I looked for a bunch of players to join me um, as kind of like ambassadors, and uh, many players over later. We have you know drilled almost 100 wells. We're at 100 wells right now. Half a million people serve. We transitioned to a million people serve goal. Clean water can transform community in so many ways. I'll be quick as I can. Number one. Um, you know, less children are dying in sub-Saharan Africa and all around the world. Number two, you know, more kids are in school. Uh, women and girls are, are not burdened as much because they're the ones who have to go get the water. Um, we have a water for her initiative that deals directly with that. Um, agriculture's improved. Basically, society holistically improves for a lot of people when there's access to clean water. And so um, that's what we look to tackle. And we've done it for five, six years now. And we started a, a hometown H2O as well. So we work domestically. Uh, and we're also going to be working on Navajo Nation as well here soon. So, you know, check us out at waterboys.org. You know, that's our conquering Killy picture you see there. Elliot Ruiz, he's a Marine. Um, roadside bomb, uh, badly kind of. I mean, it fucked him up pretty good, uh, but he's a tough SOB. He climbed the mountain with us. He's an Eagles fan. He's from right outside the city. Um, that's John Arnold. Uh, John Arnold's an amputee. Nate Boyer, who started um, Conquering Kelly with me. There's Justin Wren, who's a MMA fighter, all the way on the left, the guy with the beard. He's right. smiling, but he'll kick the shit out of you. <laughs> His interview was amazing with you guys. His was interview was, he was talking about fighting, uh, almost fighting that guy off the, and throw him off the cliff, off the yeah, side of the was, edge of the cliff. He almost yeah. beat somebody up in Tanzania, but like, he's a hero. The guy was being a dick to one of our amputees yep. at the hotel. And like, I had gone to bed because I had gone up there with uh, some of that left-handed, I, I had a little, found a little left-hand cigarette in uh in, in tanzania and i ended up i ended up up in the room but i heard a commotion downstairs and justin wren had this guy picked up upside down ready to mercifully he didn't slam on his head but he was he was this asshole was walking around to our amputees who are veterans saying um oh this is gonna be easy y'all did it this must be easy and uh like he didn't even know us so what this guy managed to do is find the only professional mixed mar martial artist in the, the whole East Africa. Um, and it happened to be Justin Wren. So bad deal for that guy. Waterboys.org. Yeah, check it out. We do Conquering Killy every year. Guys are climbing right now as we speak. So, nice. um, yeah, appreciate y'all. I, I, I found a photo of you. They, uh, you know. <laughs> little, uh, little outfit. Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> at home know that that's not Zach Galifianakis. That's Robert Redford. 
<laughs> yeah, people, people still don't get who that is. That's a uh, Robert Redford, bro. Crazy dude. But yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, man, uh, we really appreciate you stopping by, man. Like, uh, you yeah. know, it's it's not often you get to give people their flowers. You know, like we all as Eagle fans, people in the chat. <laughs> Just thank you for, uh, you know, what you guys did. I know collectively uh, I, we, we thank you for what you've been doing, you know, just speaking out, uh, just being a Walter Payton man of the man year. Of year. Hey, man, we, we appreciate it, bro. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it, man. There's a lot of great dudes on that team and in the league, and I just appreciate all the, the Philly fans that tune in whenever I get to talk to some of my favorites in the media. So thank you guys very much. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. One, listen, we got one request. If you ever find yourself at the link this upcoming season, come and check out a fourth and John tailgate, man. Oh yeah, so you can see it for yourself. Uh, we got cheesesteaks, we got Bud Light. You know, what I mean, we could go tomato pies. Put, we could get anything special for we'll you. Your, you we'll get your face know. on a tomato pie. <laughs> That's Shout out to the owner. owner. We definitely already get your face. To the owner. She fine. said that she's get she's already making you a tomato pie. She heard that you're coming on the show, and she's oh, I'm already yeah, on. You, you, but listen, I'm you let us know. Do you want your face or do you want us with your dog mask on? I mean, either way, we can mask on there. We can make it happen, man. I'll talk. Yeah. We'll get it done. But yeah, Chris, can't thank you enough, man. I thank mean, you, man. I, I, I've been talking to Reed and like uh, Brooke and all the people in the back end, and they're saying like Chris is so busy during the season, but as soon as the season's over, he'll jump on. Like he's happy to. And yeah. like, I, I'm just so happy, man. Like I, I was telling people, like trying to keep it quiet because like I, I was like, I was like, I think Chris Long is like gonna jump on the podcast. I don't get why it's a big deal. It's so funny to me, man. That's why I love Philly people, man. They really love you. I mean, that's what I said. I was just the guy. I was happy to be there and right place, right time. I love all y'all, man. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was just funny though because the Rich Eisen show. He was talking about having to go through like all the gates of security to get to you, and then I was listening to it and I was like talking to Brooke and I was talking to Cowboy Reed. I'm like, like, wow, Rich Eisen and I have to go through the same gates to talk to Chris. That's what happens when you have ADHD uh, and you run a podcast and a foundation. You need like guys and gals. You know what I mean? You need people. So we appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. All right, see you. All right, Chris, man. Take it easy, bro. Appreciate you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.